next guest, we have Emily Miner. She is a senior advisor for LRN Corporation. They are an ethics and compliance advisory and educational company. 50% of their clients are in the manufacturing space, and they also invest in research on how manufacturers can create a more sustainable cultures that build employee loyalty and entice people to choose to work in the industrial space. Um, we have uh, Emily joining us now. So welcome in, Emily. Hi, it's so nice to be here. And uh, we could have done this in person. I'm also in Jacksonville, Florida. No way. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love finding out stuff like this because we absolutely could have done this in person. But since I guess you know we're sort of in this uh, digital world, let's um let, let's go I into know. Uh, you know uh, you're, you're from Jacksonville, Florida, or are you born and raised? Uh, what, give us a little background on who Emily is. Yeah, um, uh, raised in raised in Atlantic Beach, Florida, um, but spent a lot of time uh, outside, and then came back a few years ago. So that's my sort of personal geographic uh, journey. Um, but I started working at LRN in New York in our uh, headquarters almost nine years ago. So uh, I have kind of experienced both the in-person work environment as well as the remote, uh, you know, digital work environment. Now, you over at uh, LRN, you guys created a benchmark of ethical culture. Now, now, what does it mean for a company's culture to be ethical? What sort of falls under that umbrella? Yeah. Um, you know, so I think of culture as being the sum of behavior or, um, you know, how we do things around here is another, uh, you know, term that's often used. And mm. so if you think about culture as that sum of behavior, how are people behaving, making decisions on a, you know, on a daily basis, day in and day out? And what is that being grounded in? And so an ethical culture is one where people are, um, doing what they should and and shouldn't do, uh, it's kind of it's a step beyond rules where where we're doing things because we can and can't. I think of ethics and and ethical conduct really being more about you know what's the right thing, what should we be doing in this situation for this customer, um, you know whatever it may be. And so, how do you? I guess is it different for every business? But how do you measure the 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 company's ethical culture? Are there certain benchmarks? I mean, that, that's what the I guess the report sort of lists out as some certain benchmarks. But what can you give us a few examples of of what a company could be looking for to even know if they have a good ethical culture? Yeah, and and measurement is is um, you know a really key part of it. And you know there there are a lot of different ways, kind of direct and indirect measurements of culture. Um, but I think that you really can't tell what your culture is unless you ask your people. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, surveys, focus groups, roundtables, um, you know, really going to the source and, and, and asking people about, you know, about our culture, your experience of our culture. And then to kind of break culture down into, you know, different component pieces I think one of the most foundational elements of culture is trust. Um, do we have high trust in this organization? Because trust is really required to have, um, you know, to see to see positive results in other cultural dimensions. Um, you know, one being, you know, kind of chief in the in the ethics space is whether or not people um, feel comfortable, feel free to to speak up. Um, and that's both in, you know, sharing ideas, uh, asking questions, suggesting improvements, innovations, um, new ways of doing things, um, but also speaking up about 
you know, maybe I saw something that that didn't really feel right, um, could could raise a concern, uh, could raise a, a reputational uh, or 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 you know legal uh, red flag. Um, hmm. So those are some of the those are some of the kind of the building blocks of culture. Um, another really common one uh, that we look at is um, what we call organizational justice. So this sense of of uh, you know that people are treated equally, fairly in an organization, um, and that if I were to speak up and raise concerns, you know that would be handled in an appropriate in an appropriate manner. Um, and then the final one that I'll mention, and you know, culture is a lot of things, so I'm, I'm certainly not, I'm scratching the surface here, but um, goes back to kind of that incentive for behavior. Um, and we see this, you know, a, a kind of an increased focus on this right now um, because of the pandemic, because of, it, it, you know, specific to your audience, um, all of the supply chain uh, uh, you know, pressures, but what, what's incentivizing people's behavior, employees' behavior, what kind of pressure are they under to meet targets, uh, meet quotas, meet deadlines? Um, and is that kind of coming up against also your company's ethical standards or not? You know, are people able to kind of raise their hand and say, hey, this, this isn't possible under these circumstances? Um, or is there a mindset of, just get it done and I don't care how. Yeah. I mean, you brought up a couple things that that I wanted to, I guess, make relative to the manufacturing space because 50% of your, your clients are in the manufacturing space. And you had mentioned having a, an environment where, where somebody can bring up a, an issue. Is there trust there? I imagine with manufacturing, is there safety issues there that you can confidently mm-hmm. as an employee bring up to upper management? Are there any other situations that or company culture aspects that manufacturers should be looking at specifically within their space? Or is there is it more of just sort of industry wide that you're looking at a lot of um, the same situations across several industries, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, it does. And I think that the, you know, while the building blocks of culture are you know, fairly consistent across industries. Mm. I do think that um, I, I think that manufacturing um, and some other similar environments have different uh, you know different challenges than some other types of organizations. So, because you have um, you know a segment of your population that is uh, you know office uh, workers, they're they're kind of they're connected online eight hours a day or whatever it is. And then you have a segment of your population that's, um, you know, on the floor, on the road, um, you know, maybe not as as uh, connected online just due to the nature of, of what their daily job is. Um, and so that presents, you know, different uh, companies have to do, do different things in order to, you know, communicate to uh, both types of, of employees, the communication channels are going to be different, um, and also to ensure that um, you know that there's that there's equity of treatment. Uh, you know, I often see with our clients that you know people that are working on the floor feel that you know the office workers get to play by different rules. That's really mm-hmm. degrading from a cultural perspective, um, and you know with the pandemic, seeing some of that come out where. Uh, you know, the, the, the office employees got to work from home, but, you know, the people on the floor, they still had to come in every day. Um, and, you know, that's just a reality of, of sort of the work, the, the job. Um, but 
knowing that, what can business leaders do to, uh, you know, make sure that they are keeping workers safe, listening to their concerns, showing appreciation, um, um, and and really valuing them as equal parts of the workforce, um, you know, because because they are, um, we're, you know, they're, they're a critical component to the work that that company is doing. Um, so that's, I think, some of the specific, uh, you know, just different approaches that that business leaders in the manufacturing uh, industry have to consider when they're thinking about their culture and what does it look like mm-hmm. and and is it what we want it to be? And I think too, when you brought up the fact that a lot of the manufacturers who are work or a lot of the employees at manufacturers are working on the floor, I think that's very similar to truck drivers who a lot of the Mm -hmm. drivers are out on the road and the office employees get to work from home. They have a whole different, you know, sort of lifestyle. So as a company, how do you, I guess, sort of start the process of even implementing a program like this? Is, does it start with feedback first, um, regular meetings? And then how do you deal with maybe potential pushback from these two different audiences uh, within the manufacturing space and also within, you know, sort of the, the, the driver to, you know, office worker relationship? How are you approaching, I guess, the, the introduction of a new program like this? Yeah, so um, it typically starts with getting that feedback um, so that we can have a baseline and figure out, you know, where are we? Are we where you thought we were um, or someplace else? And so we do, um, you know, we do this this primarily through survey-based, you know, feedback and Mm -hmm. um, to meet employees where they are. It's anywhere from, um, you know, a, a survey that you would access via your, your email. Um, maybe you, uh, uh, maybe you're more mobile enabled because you're on the road, and so your your mobile device, like, is your is your computer. Um, so, um, you know, pushing out like a QR code where the survey can be mm-hmm. accessed, and we also do old fashioned you know, pen and paper and secure ballot boxes um, oh, to nice. make sure that, you know, people on the floor can participate and feel safe in, in you know, in mm-hmm. sharing their feedback, honestly. Um, so that lets us get a baseline um, and we're able to look at what is the, how is the cultural experience consistent or inconsistent across, for example, these different types of employee groups, different locations, et cetera. What does that mean? Um, and then from there, it's, you know, typically a lot of work with leadership teams um, to, um, you know, help them be reflective on their own role in driving change. And then, you know, we'll typically identify two or three key areas of, um, of focus, you know, do some work on that. We make recommendations. Sometimes we support in the implementation of those. Sometimes we don't. Um but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's that. And then it's, it's also communicating back out to the whole employee population. You know, we've just mm-hmm. asked people to, to share their feedback. What did we learn? What are we going to do about it? Um, and, you know, making sure that there's that kind of closed loop uh, process and then communicating regularly on progress to plan, mm-hmm. um, you know, accountability, this perception of accountability. That's, that's uh, a key a theme that I hear again and again when I'm talking to employees in the manufacturing space, um, you know, really wanting that accountability and transparency, um, you know, from from their leaders, from their organizations, um, you know, and then you, you you check back in and you measure again and and you see, you know, where where you've improved and and you know maybe what's what are the next two or three things that we're going to focus on. 
And so I, I thought one one aspect of the report when I was reading through it last night that was really interesting to me is that the divide, and it kind of makes sense between the senior leadership and the in-the-trenches employees and how there's that communication gap and a lot of the issues that the in-the-trenches employees are not getting heard by senior leadership. But from an employee lens, if I'm one of those in-the-trenches in the employees and I see something that's messed up, how can I know that you know I can raise my hand and and speak about this issue without putting a target on my back? Is it through you know maybe mm-hmm. anonymous surveys or is it through you know some other kind of way that you want to make the you want to make your work environment better? But how do you do it without risking your own employment? Yeah, absolutely, and that's such a valid. Um, I mean, that's such a real question, um, and you know I think it it it's going to depend on the organization and whether they've you know, created the, the sort of a, a, a culture of safety around, hmm. around speaking up, um, and, and, you know, demonstrating that we as an organization, we do things about it. Right. Um, and I think if, if you're, you know, if I'm an employee and I don't feel, I don't have that level of trust. So going back to that kind of foundational cultural element, if I don't have that level of trust, um, then I would definitely, uh, you know, advised to use anonymous uh, uh, channels. So, you know, most organizations are going to have a hotline or a helpline that you can call in um, and, you know, share share something confidentially. Um, rules around confidentiality are different in Europe um, than in the U.S. So it, it can vary depending on, on where you're located. But um, in the U.S., certainly, um, uh these types of anonymous surveys, um, you know, we we always come in and we're a third party, you know, we're independent. And so we're able to make assurances of confidentiality to the employees that are participating in this process. And I've um, just in every single case, there's a large kind of segment of, of people that say, you know, this is the first time that um, that I've been asked to share my feedback. And thank you so much. Um uh, you know, I really appreciate it. I hope that something comes from it. Um, you know, and, and, and my reaction is always, yeah, yeah, me too. And, and, and we're gonna, we're gonna work on that. Um, so yeah, anonymous sources, um, anonymous channels are always an option if you don't feel comfortable, um, sharing. Um, but you know, it's really, it, the onus is on the leadership of the organization. Um, right. it's not, the onus on the employee, the individual employee, in in my view, um, to create that type of environment where people know that, you know, the company wants to hear what's going on and they want you to raise your hand and say, you know, hey, this, we have to stop this, this process because um, something doesn't feel right and, or, you know, product quality might be compromised or whatever, you know, employee safety, whatever it is, um, um, you know, that, that onus is really on on the leadership. Because there's actually, I mean, for a lot of maybe leaderships that there are leadership teams within a company that are listening to this and wondering, well, what's the business case for this? You know, we got things to do and they're not necessarily, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess worried about this, but there is a real business case that can be made by making sure that your employees are happy at their job. So what other, I guess, sort of performance measures um, are, can companies look to if they implement a program like this? What, What kind of, I guess, benefits can they see from that? Well, we, um, you know, according to our research, and there's a lot of other research out there that finds, you know, has, has similar findings, but we found that um, organizations with kind of the strongest ethical cultures outperformed the other in our study um, by 40% or more on things like 
customer satisfaction, uh, employee loyalty, um, innovation. Yeah, exactly this. Um, so there is a real strong connection to the bottom line when people, um, you know, feel that they are part of, of something bigger than themselves. Um, there's this ownership, there's a commitment and investment. Um, when people feel that they are valued, that their, their expertise is, is, is valued. So, you know, let me, like I've talked to so many, um, you know, production employees that, you know, these people have been running the same machines for 15 years. They, they, they can just feel the machine, you know, they feel when it's working, mm-hmm. when it's not working and, and they know, Hey, if we tighten this here, we, we change this other thing. Um, this is the impact it's going to have on our, mm-hmm. um, you know, on our output, um, valuing that contribution, respecting that contribution. Um, it just, that's where you get, you know, process improvement, innovation, efficiency, um, you know, more tapped in, tuned in employees. Um, going back to, you were talking earlier about the Great Recession. Um, I mean, like for that reason alone, I, I would think that uh, companies would want to be paying attention to, um, you know, what kind of environment are we creating? What what message are we sending out to current as well as prospective employees about who we are and uh, uh, what can you, you know, what you can expect if you work here. I love all of that because as a, as a, I, as a small business owner myself, as someone who helps other small business owners, you know, maybe a, a lot of the, that's something, you know, the, the LRN, you know, sort of benchmark is, is something that maybe they can grow into eventually. But is there, mm-hmm. are there any, I guess, sort of key aspects, you know, as we close out the, this conversation that a small business can start doing today to improve their ethical culture within their company so they can keep those valuable employees and, and get that feedback loop and, and make all the necessary changes that they need to make? Is there any sort of, I guess, you know, one or two things that a small business can walk away from this conversation with? Yeah, you talked about um, you talked about safety early earlier, and um, you know, I'm sure many of your many of your listeners and, and watchers will be familiar with safety moments. Um, you know, this sort of uh, uh, routine part of of regular meetings. Um, so safety moments, but ethics moments, values moments, um, you know, having these conversations to um, explore, like, what is ethics? What does that mean for for us in our specific role? Um, how does it show up? Where is it hard? Why is it hard? Let's figure that out. Um, let's celebrate people that are, um, you know, maybe did something that was a great example of our values and how they you know, went above and beyond to help a customer or a colleague or whatever it is. Um, building that into the, you know, b- building the language and the mindset around ethics, around values, um, uh, into the 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 day to day. Those are the small and safety moments. You know, using safety mm-hmm. moments um, um, as is one is but one small example. But really, how do you how do you operationalize it and make it something that's part of um, part of our our day to day rather than these you know nice nice words on on the the about us page of your website. Yeah, because I mean, that's a great point because you have to articulate something and you have to really put it, you know, pen to paper in order to understand how to make something better, put that program in place. You have to know where you stand to begin with. So appreciate all of this insight, Emily. Where can folks follow more of your work, download the benchmark report, all that good stuff? Yeah, um, it's really, I know I'm super happy to have this conversation. Um, And uh, people can go to lrn.com to download the report and, uh, and learn more. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. I, I got it linked in the show notes of where folks can can download that report. Lots of valuable insight and in how we can get better at, you know, just not the the X's and O's and the, the, the numbers within the organization, but also within the people as well. So thank you so much, Emily. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. And if you did like it, I would love if you could rate and review the show on Apple or Spotify. It'll take you like two minutes of your time, but it helps a ton for a creator like me to be able to show that review like a badge of honor. And it also helps the show get discovered by others. If you'd like to see more of my work, head on over to digitaldispatch.io. I've got some new content collections under the resources tab for folks who are freight brokers, truckers, carriers, freight agents, and also a best of collection for how to fix your website and how to fix your marketing. It's all completely free. And again, that tab is under resources over on the digitaldispatch.io website. The website also includes some links to our social media accounts, along with my products and services, in case any of that is of interest to you. Once again, my name is Blythe Bremley, and I thank you for sharing your attention with me today. Until next time, have a magical day.